You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, Nash? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It's me, your good buddy, Joe O'Brien. And hi, I'm his good buddy, Troy LaValle. We're the Good Buddy Crew here bringing you the news from behind the scenes of the Glass Cannon Network. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Chapow! I almost said 2022. Generally, how long, how deep into a year do you make the previous year mistake, either in talking about it or writing it down? Um, it usually lasts till around Easter. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's usually like a quarter of the year before I, I, I settle in to the new year for real. The worst is when you like ask, used to write checks. Like nobody writes checks anymore, but there'd be checks I'd be writing. I'm like, hey, damn it, gotta throw that check away or cross it out. <laughs> this check has been expired for eight months. Um, Why is it a nice anniversary? What's going on, Nash? We got uh, plenty of news bits for you today, and we're going to dig into a little We Are Stupid because this this segment is just too easy, Troy, because we're so stupid. <laughs> so, so uh, stupid. Week in and week out, we can do things. Uh, honestly, uh, very little, uh, very uh, minor stuff uh, in episode 62 of uh, Strange Aeons, but uh, still stuff to talk about, so that that's going to be fun. But first... The big news on our minds, the thing you and I talk about nonstop, the first thing that we discussed as soon as we connected uh, today is the space, the studio space as we try to get this thing locked down so we can get Gatewalkers recording as soon as possible. We were talking about trying to record something next week. Yeah. But the space, alas, is, uh, is not locked down. Now, that space we mentioned last week on Cannon Fodder as like – we're, we're about to ink the paperwork. Did we say that we put an offer in last yeah, week? Yeah, we did. Okay. We did. I think we did. Pretty sure we did. Uh, it got pulled out from under us. Classic Yoink. New York City style. Yeah. Um, they had accepted. I mean, they accepted our offer. Like, everything was, like, moving forward. And uh, all of a sudden, they just decided to keep the current tenant. And yep. it was like, the current, that place was a mess. We saw that place. Yeah, like, why would you want that tenant? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I wasn't too bummed out because I wasn't – it wasn't my favorite space. Uh, it was just, it, it worked for us for a number of different reasons. And, uh, you know, we would have saved some money. Uh, but it was and like, also okay. time. Time is important to us. We need to get this Bye. thing up and rolling as soon as possible. It has taken us longer than we originally anticipated. And so now we're like, come on, every week, week in and week out, like, we got to close this up. And even taking a slightly less than space was worth it to get the ball rolling because we could always upgrade a few years from now. You know what I mean? But we need to get this thing. We need to get together and record. That's what we're excited to do. And uh, so when we lost it, it was a bummer, but it was also like, yeah, maybe it was meant to be. Yeah. And so now it's like, fuck, do we have to meet up and go look at other spaces again? Because that takes yep. time. And like, we don't know. Like, We don't we, like being together. Yeah, we don't. It's much easier to just email back and forth than have to see each other in person. Um, but then we thought about that first space that we saw that had an HVAC issue because um, the HVAC vent was right over where I want the um, recording space to be. And also the guy was like, oh, we have an offer on that. And so I was like, can you just reach out to him and see if that space is still available? So McD hit him up and sure enough, 
the space was still available. So you went there <laughs> a couple days ago into the city, like first thing in the morning, met with some HVAC contractors to see if they could move it around. And uh, they can. And so they we said they can. We put in an offer for that space, which is the space that I love because, uh, of course, it's more expensive. It's in a way better area. But uh, it looks like this this might be happening. But until and it's our been name, accepted, it's been accepted uh, again. Uh, but but until we have you know signed on the dotted line, I, I'm not interested in in assuming anything at this point. So we'll see if that can come together. But that yeah. definitely did feel like a faded space. Like the moment we walked into it, we were like. We looked at each other we were like, this is it. Like, yeah. this is the space. But then we turned on the air conditioning. And it was like, <laughs> right over the middle of the room. Where I went <laughs> they were like, when they put it together, they were like, I guess they'd put a gaming table here. So let's put the HVAC right there, <laughs> right over top of it. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to look at, at getting that moved around and switched around. And hopefully we're, we're moving in the right direction. It makes me laugh. Did anybody, did everybody see? Talking to you, Nish. Did you all go and see the YouTube video of Troy and I bouncing around Queens looking at spaces? Because <laughs> if you haven't, go to our YouTube channel and check it out. It's what, nine minutes long? Something yeah. like that. Eight or nine minutes long. It, it's chopped up. It's, I thought it was great. Go check it out because we tell the story of the agent telling us that this space that we loved at first sight, that it was just they just put an offer in on it right before we got there. Yeah. And and we knew we were like, this smells like real estate agent bullshit. <laughs> and then we call a full week and a half later. And he's like, yeah, yeah. The space is still available. Yeah. Now listen, maybe it's possible that the financials didn't work out for this fake tenant. But uh, <laughs> most likely, it was like, don't bullshit a bullshitter. Yeah, the imaginary financials didn't work out for that imaginary tenant. <laughs> um, uh, very exciting, though. Dude, I mean, uh, it's it, we're recording this very early here uh, on Tuesday. There's a chance by the end of the day, um, you know, after this comes out, that we'll know that we have the space. Yeah, there's a chance that when you hear this on Wednesday, it, it, we could have the space. Um, that behind-the-scenes video, BT Dubs. Yeah. Uh, are are we planning on more of those? Are we going to do a few more of those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This has been the plan all along um, to do more of these to really unveil this process, reveal the process as it goes along. I think that uh, people find it interesting and, you know, where Gatewalkers is going to take, you know, still some time to get up. I think it'll help stem that tide between now and then uh, to get people just keep building hype and get people excited and really show uh, what the process is like of of finding a studio, building that out and prepping it to record, uh, you know, what, what we consider to be our most high profile project yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So keep an eye out for those. Hopefully uh, in the coming weeks, uh, one or two more of those drops as we get to work uh, on hopefully this this space that we were talking about uh, this week on Glass Cannon Labs tomorrow, Thursday at two o'clock Eastern time live. You're going to see the continuation slash finale of the Symbarum uh, intro one shot uh, that is uh, one of the one shots that's built into the starter set. We started it uh, about a month ago. With me and you and Ross Bryant, Jared Logan, and Josephine McAdam. And I, I had a great time. Amazing cast. And, you know, we're just poking around, poking around in this system. I want to ask you, Troy, you are, you're doing a little poking around. Uh, part of the, the um, inspiration. The, the <laughs> but my camera was up higher. <laughs> <laughs> you are part of your inspiration for getting into the employee lounge and playing more uh, Dark Souls, playing more Skyrim. 
and part of your inspiration for Glass Cannon Labs in general is getting us exposure over and over again to dive into new worlds and new games to, um, you know, learn and pull out as much as we can as you create your own world. Yeah. And also poke around at creating your own mechanics uh, that might be that might be involved. I know you and I talked off air and you were like, I don't want to play any more Symbarum. And it has nothing to do with the system or world. In fact, I think the world's pretty fascinating. But I just – I want – the new Gatewalkers project to be my sword and sorcery kind of that setting focus. Like that is the game that I want to play in that kind of setting. And, but I'm curious if there is any, any positive takeaways that you have in this brief experience with Symbarum in terms of uh, design or, you know, in the world or in the game that you're like, Oh, this is something that is interesting that I want to uh, utilize uh, as I, as I work on this other project. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, even though we played that one session, I haven't spent a ton of time with the material. Um, the thing that jumped out at me most was the setting, which I really liked. And, and as I'm, you know, kind of creating this setting, that was very alluring to me. I joked on the labs. I was like, well, this makes me not want to create a setting because a much better setting has already been created. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but what I, what I do like about it is, you know, and I mentioned this last week, and of course, uh, people on Reddit were all nervous when I said that I'm writing my own system. Um, part of that is an exercise in, 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 it's kind of like, it's helping me build the world a little bit, whether or not this system that I'm writing ever sees the light of day or, or is used on the network on GCP 2.0 or, or ever. It's really an exercise to help me, um, figure out what I like about gaming and what, uh, what kind of game I want to play, because there's a lot of games that we play where I don't, I don't always like it. And, and there's, there's reasons for that that I'm trying to do away with in the system that I'm creating. But again, that we may never even play that system. It's really just to help me understand what type of world I want to play in, as well as like the mechanics uh, of, of how we would resolve uh, dice rolls in that world. And so I've spent, I spent a lot of time, especially in the past two weeks, um, just feeling really inspired uh, by by diving back into Dark Souls, diving back into Skyrim, playing Cyborg and Blade Runner and Symborum on the labs to go back into my world. So I've I've, I've created the classes and uh, unique heritages, and then I've got tables for systems and for like dice, uh, how that's going to all work out. And now I it's it I feel like I'm ready to start diving back into the world, and that really happened when I started creating the heritages. I was like. I don't want to fucking gnomes and halflings and all this, like the traditional stuff. I want to create something different. You know, I was thinking a lot about Skyrim, how you've got the, the, the high elves and the drow and the Khajiit. And I was like, I want something more like that. Um, but again, I want to strip everything away. I don't, there doesn't need to be 75 races uh, or in, uh, ancestries. Um, there can just be a couple that allow you to diverge it in any way you want. Let the player be creative instead of giving the player 70 different options. Just let the player take one option and go 70 different directions if they want. And so it's made me start to think about, well, why are there these heritages? What is how What happened to the world to create these sort of divergencies? And so it started to make me think more about the background of the GCP 2.0 world. And, and that's exciting to me because it's a project that has been, uh, you know, shelved uh, for, for over a year in many ways, you know. And so uh, it's exciting to get back to it also because Gatewalkers is imminent. You know what I mean? We're going to be recording that very, very soon. And I want Gatewalkers to end 
in, you know, whatever, how long it takes, three years, and have GCP 2.0 launch immediately after. That's the plan. Now, that could change a thousand times between now and then. We could be like, you know what, still not ready, or like, yeah, we're really enjoying uh, doing these APs. Let's just go from Gatewalkers into another three book. Who knows? But the plan right now is to go right into GCP 2.0. So if that's the plan, then while we're recording Gatewalkers, the, the GCP 2.0 world has to be created concurrently. And whether that includes a, a brand new system or not, time will tell. Yeah, it's interesting to me, the connection between the world and the mechanics. You see that in some games. Some games are clearly, they're designed together. The the mechanical thing that drives the game and the setting in which it's played are sort of inseparable from each other. Um, you could use, you know, there, there can be some creative push to split them apart. And, and that can, that's a fun thing to do as well. But, and then there's other systems that are designed specifically to be uh, able to be overlaid in any setting. But I, I, it's the first time I've heard you say that. So I think it's interesting. The first time you've, you've said that mechanical research has gotten you sparked for story development in terms of, of world building. And I didn't know that would be the case. Like, I almost feel like I was working on these mechanics as a way to procrastinate working on the world. Um, just, and also because I just had, I felt more fertile with my ideas for creating a game that I would actually want to play. And then what came out of that very recently, like I said, with the heritages and or, or ancestries, whatever in particular, I was like, okay, now I think, now I think this world is starting to take shape because we have uh, my my writing partner and I, you know, we haven't worked on this in over a year. I want to be very clear about that, but we have a a a multi chapter story, eight, nine, ten chapter story that tells the entire adventure, but it's important to know about the history of this world and why we got to where we are. Um, and, and that's the part that was always missing. And now that's really starting to take shape. And so it's exciting me to dive back into the, um, the actual writing of the adventure as well. Well, getting back to labs, we are going to also continue our Blade Runner, uh, game, which to me was shocked me at how much I enjoyed it. I, I was, have never been a big Blade Runner guy and I simply, uh, was, blown away by I just I guess I never realized I always thought of Blade Runner erroneously I think as a bounty hunter kind of story <laughs> and I'm not a huge fan of bounty hunter kind of stories and I realize that like it's not and that's not what the game is built around it is a detective story it is a it is a yeah. mystery solving investigation kind of procedural system and setting that I absolutely ate up. There is a page of that rule book. I don't know if you noticed it. That is phenomenal. I, I didn't lean on it too much on air uh, because we, we were just getting started and I'm just trying to get a handle on things, but I'll lean into it uh, for the next session. There's a page in the core rule book that just breaks down in one page with like these little tables, like the path of, investigation like the way police operate mm. and it's really interesting like you know the steps that you take and the things the questions you ask and the things that need to be put together to put together a case uh because they recognize that like the average player doesn't know you know the depth of that um I don't know what you would call it, the strategy or uh, procedure, you know, to res to end up at a place where you have a case built. So anyway, the game 
really put a lot of effort into teaching you how to become a detective. And, it, and I love it. And in that setting, it's so awesome. Uh, and, and they also they also add on to it that, like, it's not about the mystery. It's, it's not about solving the mystery, we should say. It's about the characters that are trying to solve that mystery and how they're developed by and impacted by that process. So uh, I, I love the uh, the tone of the game and the point of the game. So I can't wait to dive back into that. So that'll be next Thursday. Yeah, um, I can already see us green lighting a, at least a mini series of Skid running this again because it brings Skid a lot of joy. And I mean, that's what you want when we run games. We've run plenty of games that we're like, we feel like we have to do for various reasons, uh, or it became that way over time. We're like, ugh, got to play this game. Uh, you know, this is a game that Skid's very excited about. So, you know, th- then that's part of what the labs is. Like, let's see if there's anything here that gets your teeth wet. And, right. Uh, his teeth are soaked. <laughs> Skid's teeth are soaked. All right, let's go into We Are Stupid. You don't want to talk about Gengon? I saw it on the rundown here. Uh, no, because it's only bad news. You want to deliver <laughs> bad news to the Nash? Well, I mean, it's a it's a bummer, but things could change. We were hoping to expand this year. We asked, like, fucking immediately. As the con was closing last year, we put it in our deposit for a larger space, and we just found out yesterday they're not going to give us a larger space, um, which is kind of a bummer because one of the things that was, you know, lacking from last year was us being able to interact with um, – the attendees. We just, we, there's just too much going on. We've got shows in the con. We've got shows outside of the con. Uh, and we had, you know, nine to six, nine a.m. to six p.m. shows every single day in the fishbowl recording studio. So this year I wanted to expand and include an interactive element. And it seems like we're not going to get the larger space. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to try to still include that interactive element, but I had a really cool solution for that that it, it seems like we're not going to do. But you know, it's that's okay. You got to roll with the punches. I'm still. You know, we're still five months out. Something could change, but but as of now, I mean, it's it's not terribly surprising either. Because what you realize is we we're rookies. We're new guys. Yeah. And you come in as a rookie, and you and you kind of get beat batted around a little bit by the veterans, and they're just like, ha, you sit in your little booth, rookie. Maybe one day you'll earn a bigger booth. Like basically, you get deprioritized. The people that have been going to Gen Con for fifty years are prioritized. They get all the booth space they want first, and it trickles all the way down to the newbies. And if there's nothing left, there's nothing left. Yeah, and the reality is, there's probably plenty of larger spaces available, but they're just being held in case. One of the, uh, you know, the older uh, guard wants it. Um, yeah. So there's still a chance we could get it, but like we're not going to find out until. But somebody uh, else will have order. to give it up essentially, yeah. you know, for us to get it. So and that's um, fine. That's their system. But you know what? We we just I just submitted two events to Gen Con uh, the other day. So I'm super juiced for these events. Super BT juiced. I don't even want to say what they are until they get approved. But, uh, you know, I mean, I mentioned who knows. Um But two events and then we're, we're planning on two shows outside of the con, only one of which. Is Glass Cannon Live. So that's very exciting. <laughs> An outside show at a venue that is not Strange Aeons. <laughs> Woo! Woo! We'll see. We'll see. I uh, can't wait till we can finally talk about that. But yeah, let's yeah. let's now dive into We Are Stupid, uh, episode 62 of our Strange Aeons campaign. We're diving in because we want to differentiate things uh, in 2E that are different from 1E and things that we're learning as we go. If you remember last week, Professor Eric said there were no rule foul-ups. It was a largely role-playing episode. 
But I suspect two things I'll need to talk about next week. We had a good laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said uh, the things I predicted did not happen. And the reason they didn't happen is because we didn't fight any ghasts. Uh, do, why didn't we fight ghasts? So there's, in ga- there's a ghast encounter in the book, and I just thought it was superfluous. Paizo does this a lot, and I'm not trying to denigrate Paizo. They're doing – they throw in encounters uh, because they're trying to reach XP goals. You know, you, you got to get the, the players to have a certain amount of XP so they can – Which makes up. sense for yeah, a gaming I, table. I totally get it. I, I you know – and and the thing is, I think because they have to churn these adventures out so quickly, you don't have the luxury of being like, well, come up with unique, amazing encounters that all have stories behind them for every part of the adventure. That's just, uh, you know, hopefully GCB 2.0 will have that because we have years of prep. But like, you can't expect that out of Paizo because they've got deadlines. And I felt like the ghast encounter that they had included here was super, superfluous because ultimately the ghasts are non-hostile and they're just there to tell you the story of what happened to their land, and then they want you to help them. And then, but then they were like, "But there's this other group of gas that are very mangy and looking for trouble." And so they attack you on sight. And I was like, "I don't think you need that. It takes away from the idea that like I, I tried to combine that into this moment where you think the gas are going to be hostile, and then you realize that they need your help." I just took away, instead of doing a whole episode that was an encounter against gas, let's just make it seem like a threat and then realize, okay, no, these are gas that we can talk to. Let's flip the the script on what you normally assume. Oh, here comes an encounter. Yeah. And so what Eric was uh, planning on us running into is something he says a lot of GMs tend to miss, which is, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that all-important incapacitation trait. That trait, that one word, is listed under the ghouls and gas paralyze ability. Yeah, there it is. So there's a large swarm of ghoul and gas descending on the party. In this case, he says this incapacitation trait works in the party's favor. Because essentially, while a swarm of gas would have been extremely deadly in first edition, and always where we know this from from earlier Strange Aeons, the incapacitation trait on the paralysis makes it much less of a threat in Pathfinder 2nd Edition to higher level PCs, which we would have been compared to them. Only a crit fail is a failure. So like a failure, uh, a failure on the die is, is, uh, is a success. <laughs> you know, you actually move it one step down. Right. And normally when this has happened on the show, it's been the other way around, like you guys fighting someone who's more powerful. But this would have been maybe the first instance of you guys fighting less powerful creatures. And so there, the paralysis would have been much harder to take. And I really, really like that. Um, yeah. Because how stupid is it when you fight like low level things when you're like a 14th level character and they have this tiny ability and you just shit the bed and it's like, sorry, man, they paralyze. I yeah. like this that no, you've you've built up a tolerance to this through your adventure. Yeah, and, and that shitting the bed was a really big problem in 1E because a 14th level character had in my estimation, I believe a lot of people believe this, um, imbalanced saving throw bonuses. The, you know, a fighter might have a plus 17 to their fortitude save and a plus six to their 
will save or something. You know what I mean? Like at 14th level, it just wasn't balancing out in a way it was balancing out in a way that a lower level creature could really mess up a higher level character if the died went a certain way. And it didn't have to be a natural one. It could be a natural nine and you'd still get really messed up. So I like this incapacitation trait. Simply bump it all down a level uh, of success. So it's great. Anyway, we will um, forget it, but like that's why we we have to preach, 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 preach. Read your traits. Read the whole spell. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've got something to talk about on next week's Cannon Fodder about reading traits, but um, no time to get into it this week. Also, the gas stench. I just want to bring this up. Uh, it's an ability that we didn't know about, uh, but Skid did mention it on the show. He just said, I recall, because you asked him, well, what do you remember about gas from the old days? And he said, I remember the gas also had some sort of horrible odor or something. And sure enough, that comes from the old school and is translated into Tui as gas stench, mm-hmm. uh, an ability that is a 10-foot aura of stench. Um, why does this not come into play even in a social encounter? Because – Ethel and Eris were talking to them. Why did they not uh, have to roll saves? Yeah, I mean, I just I wasn't interested in in using that and then having it maybe le- turn into a con- combat. Like, oh, their stench is overpowered. Let's kill them. I just figured they were staying more than <laughs> ten feet away. So bad, let's kill them. <laughs> I just figured, like during the conversation, they're keeping their distance. They're more than ten feet away, and uh, because they know that their stench can inca- incapacitate people. Uh, or sicken people that are, are, are gassed. That's, I mean, I, I didn't put that thought into it at the time. I was just like, I'm not going to have you roll a fortitude state against gas stench. They're, they're keeping their distance because they're feeling you out. They're like, Oh, are they going to hurt us? Yeah. So, um, uh, he moves on to say, as Joe was alluding to drawing a shield and raising a shield would normally be two different actions. In this sentence, he points out that Joe knows the rules. <laughs> and was explaining them properly to you. In his next sentence, he he makes a little political move here. Quote, but I don't know the stats of these monsters. Not even sure of the actual name. Uh, if we did a recall knowledge check, Troy was saying some of it was flavor. So maybe had a, they had a special ability. He's just giving you an out. He's just giving you an out, uh, which, which I don't appreciate. I feel like you were taking too many actions. For free, and I didn't like it. But <laughs> well, you did. It's my fault. I, I made it unnecessarily confusing because I was trying to flavor this up. I made a point of like when you arrive there, you see everything that's living is has been like turned to statues. But the map, uh, even the map that that we had remade, like it just it it has these things that like look like statues. So I didn't want to give away that they were going to come to life and attack you. I should have just had, I should have asked Dave to, to make them all unique instead of just making them look like they did on the Paizo thing. Cause they, what they are is like, they have swords and shields. So if you walked up and saw a bunch of statues with swords and shields, you know that they're probably going to come to life. It was just to try and create that. Like, okay, let's just walk to the cemetery. Oh, they pull a piece of their body out and it becomes a long sword. They pull a piece of their shield out. But in creating that flavor, I painted myself into the corner of like having to use several actions. The action economy. What I should have done is like, as they come to life, they pull those things out and then they're out. And I didn't have to burn those actions, but you know, I wasn't thinking well, that far ahead of it. You were right to keep me to task, but I just – I was doing it for you guys. I was doing yeah, it for but, you guys. But you're, you're overthinking it. Let me, let me cite uh, uh, the season two finale of Legacy of the Ancients in which Nick Lowe says, I feel uh, – he's grown so much, Troy. 
He's grown so much. Uh, his wisdom in uh, Pathfinder has grown leaps and bounds. And in that finale episode, he states, and I quote, actually, this isn't an exact quote. It's an approximation. But he says something along the lines of like, anytime I see a statue in a Pathfinder game, I assume it's coming to life first. That is my first assumption. Yeah. And then if it doesn't come to life, I'm surprised. So I think you overthought it because not every single encounter needs to be a surprise encounter. You know, no, you can yeah. be like, feel the danger, think that that might happen, prepare for it, and then execute a strike, you know what I mean, to start the encounter. That's fun for players too, you know? Yeah. I mean, God, there was a moment in Giant Slayer in book six, right towards the end, you guys refused to go into a room that had statues because you were certain the statues were going to come to life. <laughs> and you kept coming up to that room because you were always coming around and you're like, we can't go in there. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, just go in the fucking room. There's information. They're not going to come to life. Uh, but you're just trained. <laughs> we're so scared. You're just trained. Like, oh, that, that dragon statue is clearly going to come to life. Um, so yeah, here, I definitely was overthinking it, but I just wanted, I didn't want you guys to like pre-buff a ton. I wanted you to just get in there and mix it up, but, uh, I, I fucked myself in so doing. <laughs> uh, you all uh, this is from Eric you all got the right you all got it right on haste regarding the start of the turn quickened meaning you get four total actions at the start of your turn that you can use in any order as long as one of those and only one is a stride or strike sorry not one and only one as long as one of them is a stride and strike action you couldn't use uh, all four actions and not stride and strike that would be going against the uh, rules of what haste gave you the hasted action does not have to be first we did come to that conclusion in the show um but there it is now here's the one thing that i i i thought of this and i didn't get it quite, you know what I, I didn't think of this i'm sorry i thought of, i thought about this on the re-listen when i re-listened to the episode i caught it i didn't catch it the first time and so i'll be honest i blame myself <laughs> when ethel runs in now this could end up being big for f63 when ethel runs in to uh, just try to get the foot says this, this encounter is unwinnable. I'm going to go get the foot. <laughs> he intentionally provokes three AOOs uh, from the uh, statues that he runs past. And we know that they have, at that point we knew they had attacks of opportunity. Yeah. Um, the problem here is that, and this is a, a key minor thing. You had used a shield block for one of those creatures in that round, ah. and you had lowered the damage it took and broke the shield. I think Ethel did it. I think Ethel yeah. broke the shield. That is a reaction and used up its reaction for the round. So it yeah, did it not get a swing at him. This I don't blame you for this. This is the kind of thing that it's like either Matthew or myself, and I'll put it more on myself as like the quote-unquote player captain, uh, that like we got to catch these things. You have too many creatures on the board to know every reaction used throughout you know the entire encounter, but we should be you know looking out for what is going to keep us safer by being sure. like whose enemy – what enemies cannot take an AOO this round? And you can utilize that information to make strategic moves during the fight. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like – I wish I would have caught it. I, I caught it immediately on the re-listen. I just didn't catch it during the app. Yeah, I mean you could always like – put a mark on someone when they use the reaction but like it's just kind of crazy to, i feel like it's too much that's why i feel yeah. like you need another person another player has to be honest with this and track it and like and it's in the player's favor anyway uh but players have to police themselves on when they've used a reaction in a round you know and they can't use another one 
Um, that can get into a tricky space if you aided somebody, right? Like you, you, you decided to aid as your third action. Then you aided them and then you want to take an attack of opportunity. Like, you know, and it could be 20 minutes later, but you don't remember it's the same round. Like you got to be conscious of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the real estate agent is calling me right now. Oh. Which is um, probably a bad thing. <laughs> Maybe you should take that call and I'll vamp. Okay. You vamp. You vamp. Yeah. Um, so th- this is, this is fun. You're actually catching this in real time. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll edit this out. Um, but this is important, um, for the, for the growth of the show. And what's funny is I can watch him taking this call. Um, and so I'll see like his reaction, although he's got his face kind of hidden. I can't see if he's smiling or not. Most likely it's like, Hey, we need another, uh, form. Can you send a copy of your expired passport? Uh, fax it on over. Um, he doesn't look pleased. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but he never looks pleased. He's a very, he's a very angry individual. Um, it'll be fun when he comes back though to see if it was important or not. Okay, I see some body movement now. There's a chance here. Oh, a little laugh. Looked like a giggle, unless he just had indigestion. It's hard to tell. Um, but yeah, we're going to find out very soon. This is kind of exciting. I, I. I really liked this space when we went in. I was like, this is the space, but it was more expensive and there was that HVAC, HVAC issue. But, um, you know, back when we lived in Astoria, um, and cheapers we all did, uh, this was like the spot. My first date with my wife was at a restaurant that's two blocks, uh, from, uh, this space, a block and a half. And then, you know, the bar we went to to get drinks is like where I parked my car when we went to go look at this space. Uh, it would be, it would be really fun to go back there, especially since now we've all moved away. Uh, this, this space was about a block and a half from Matthew's old apartment. He would have had a two minute walk to the studio, but you know, I hope we get it. If we don't, we're just going to head back in probably tomorrow and just look at some more spaces and lock this in. I'm getting so excited uh, to start Gatewalkers. Have a lot of really exciting plans on uh, how we're going to do this. You know, Strange Aeons in many ways right now is a it's it's stopgap material. It's we want to keep putting material on that feed. Um, if we just went dark on that feed until Gatewalkers came out, you'd, we'd, we'd hemorrhage subs. And then for another thing, it's to, to learn 2E um, to, so that we have it in our bodies by the time the Gatewalkers starts so that we get a lot of those hiccups out of the way, even though Gatewalkers is going to be an edited show. And then thirdly, we just really love the Strange Aeon story and want to progress it while we're taking a little break from the tour. But that said, Joe O'Brien is back. Joe, can you tell us uh, what if any news is worth sharing. We got it, buddy. We got it, got it? Well, all the financials were approved for the company. That's where we were at. We were at the stage. So the financials are approved, proof of funding, all that stuff approved. We're moving forward with the deal, sending a lease, et cetera. Now the last step is they need my personal credit report. And so we'll probably lose it based on that. You kept I, running up all those Amex bills. Dude, all those Discover cards I opened in college and, and went flying all around the world. For phone sex lines. <laughs> For phone sex lines. <laughs> all uh, those Discover cards that were paying off 1-800-HOT-TIMES. Um, <laughs> wow, okay, so. I think we're good, man. That's fucking great. Yeah, and you have impeccable credit, so that'll be. Uh, so that's an, easy, that's an easy leap there. The next thing is we just have to review this, this lease. 
So we'll see. I mean, you know, leases are always 25 pages of six-point font awfulness for the tenant. But yeah. uh, there's really not much we can do about that. But I don't read leases, man. I just fucking sign them. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what he said to me. He was like, give me the name of your lawyer. And I was like, just send it to me, man. He was like, if you need a lawyer, I can get you a lawyer. And I was like, we have lawyers. I just find I give them a bunch of money to look at a landlord's contract and redline a bunch of stuff to which the landlord says, all right, no, we'll just give it to somebody else. (laughs) And so we paid all this money and nothing changed in the terms, standard terms and conditions of the lease. So like, yeah, we we, we don't have enough sway. Like we are completely, we have absolutely zero leverage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. In New York the- City, when you're desperate to get a commercial space, you have no leverage. If you, if we were getting a, you know, uh, 60,000 square foot office space uh, and, you know, we had some, there was serious money behind this and they didn't know if they could get another tenant that size. Yeah, we might have some push, but like not with our size. And the thing is, our, our lawyers, they're very, very, very nice. But like the second you pick up the phone, it starts costing 500 bucks an hour. And so when you give them something to look over, they don't send it back a couple hours later and say, hey, it looks great. No, they have to redline it because they're charging you thousands of dollars, even though yeah. that stuff is like they know it's not going to get approved. And here's another layer. <laughs> they're not New York City lawyers. So like the lawyers that look at it, uh, our lawyers are based in Philly and they are like... Philly and L.A., really, he relocated to L.A., the main one. They're like, they don't know New York City real estate law. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just. No one does. We would have to start from scratch anyway and get them to refer us to a New York City, you know, lawyer who would then be like, I charge five fifty an hour. And it would just, the bills rack up. I, and you're okay. always, you always just got to take it on the chin as a tenant right. in New York. Like, We're already paying a fucking broker's fee. We're going to pay <laughs> thousands to have this HVAC. Turned around. Let's just get fucked on the lease. It's three years. I'm going to be 47 by the time we get out of this fucking lease. Yeah, we'll I'd rather get screwed on this lease and start recording gay walkers. Let's as soon as possible. Go. That's what I was talking about. I was making fun of like how I couldn't tell if you were happy or not and that you looked like you were giggling or maybe throwing up. Um, <laughs> and then I just started talking about gay walkers because I'm so fucking excited about this, dude. I never pre-read the adventures, which I know people think are insane, but I'm pre-reading it and I'm like really into this story and it doesn't even have a protagonist. That's great. That's great. Well, I mean, to me, that's a great way to, to put a button on the FOD. Uh, that, was, that was all I had this week. Professor Eric, thank you, as always, for your insights uh, throughout. Um, yeah, what else, what else is coming? Uh, we, got, we got labs this week. Uh, Strange Eye on 63 is on Thursday night. Otherwise, uh, keep an eye on the employee lounge, as always. Uh, Troy, you, you may stream a little later this week. Um, yeah, well, well, now it's Wednesday. So by the time this airs, there's a chance that I have finished Anne Orlando. Uh, there's a chance that yesterday I fought Ornstein and Smog no less than 70 times to try and beat them solo. Uh, but we're having a lot of fun with that. And then you and I have been talking uh, about getting some Gloomhaven streams back. Cooking. Yes. Uh, so stay on you, the me and McD, and everybody wants to play some some Gloomhaven. So I'd yeah, and we become buddies in. with the Asmodi people. Like I think there's some there's an opportunity here to do some cool stuff. Some and we should get Witch McCaw back out. Rob Kirkovich. Oh, he bought the whole fucking thing, and he's just sitting there boxing it. He's just, <laughs> like, yeah, unboxing. he's just waiting, waiting for us to for the call. Yeah, we should we should absolutely do this as soon as possible. Um, so stay tuned for that. It may not even show up on the schedule because we might just say, hey Friday, let's fucking go, let's play. Um, so stay tuned. Exciting times and uh, hopefully some exciting news. We got a lot of like like irons in the fire right now. We're waiting to hear back from so many people. So once things start happening and contracts start being signed, get a, get excited for some exciting announcements. 
Get ready. It's going to be another. It's going to be an awesome week. I feel like in the history of the Glass Cannon Network. Big things. Yeah. Big things coming. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful week. If we don't see you uh, live on one of our Twitch shows, we will catch you next week on the FOD. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at patreon.com slash glasscannon. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.